0: Zeus is agile, evolving, and conquering the online world, and the security industry can't seem to develop software and antivirus solutions fast enough to keep up. Globally, more than 3.6 million personal computers are estimated to be infected by Zeus malware, and that number is expected to continue to grow. Andreas Baumhoff, the chief technology officer of security firm ThreatMetrics, says Zeus is winning because the socially engineered schemes used to spread it are becoming increasingly difficult for consumers to detect. So what steps can businesses, organizations, and industries take to enhance security in the online world? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by Andreas Baumhoff, who shares some highlights from ThreatMetrics' recent research and offers some perspective about what he deems to be at the core of the online security problem. Andreas, first, before we get started, can you tell our audience a bit about what spurred ThreatMetrics to initiate its research into the growing power of Zeus?
1: Uh, thanks Tracy. Um, uh, ThreatMetrics is in the business of protecting consumers and online businesses as well as financial institutions from any kind of you know fraud on transactions, um, uh, be it through frauds manually or by malware automatically. So Zeus is obviously kind of you know a candidate of a malware that has been highly sophisticated and highly successful targeting various financial institutions over the last uh, six years. So, this is kind of an um, example of malware. We constantly monitor and we constantly look how it evolves and whether there's new target vectors, um, uh, whether they are changing their tactics or whatever they do. So, this is kind of you know, one thing that we do to make sure we understand what the bad guys do to protect the good guys.
0: Now, Threat Metrics based some of its analysis on research, I guess, that was conducted over the course of a month. How was the research conducted
1: and what did you glean? So we as security researchers focus mainly on the malware. So we don't really focus on uh, how much money is being lost by financial institutions. We focus on the malware and what the malware is doing. So any fraud groups and rings, when they distribute their malware, it's basically out in the open. So we have lots of sensors and honeypots that so we know about the malware. We then have uh, our internal tools, reverse engineers looking at those uh, samples, making sure we can find the configuration behind the Seoth Trojan. So we really know exactly what the Seoth Trojan is doing. Seth is a trojan, uh, one of the very sophisticated Trojans. We can take the same. Zeus Trojan and configure it so it targets different brands, different financial institutions, different um, merchants completely differently to either steal personal information, but also to do, for example, fully automated wire transfers. You know, We look at the Trojan and the configuration file behind it.
0: And so Andreas, what
1: is it about
0: Zeus that makes it a different kind of malware, a malware that poses increasing threats to the online community?
1: So the Zeus Trojan in particular has been built from the very early days on to be very, very flexible. So it was um, a, a group of people developing the Zeus Trojan. They were not actually using the Zeus Trojan to do any fraud transactions. They were reselling the Zeus Trojan to other people, and they could then perpetrate the fraud. So, um, And in a very, very flexible way, as I mentioned before, you can use the Zeus Trojan and just configure it for a particular attack. So it is very versatile, very flexible. It has kind of like a plug-in system where you can say, Hey, I want to, for example, add keylogging functionality or I want to do main in a browser functionality or I want to steal, you know, personal information or use them in passwords or whatever you want to do. You can use it to target, you know, social networking sites, but you can also use it to do really sophisticated attacks like, you know, Getting around sophisticated two-factor authentication that is commonly used by uh, financial institutions, or even to do, you know, fully automated wire transfer in the background. So this flexibility and also the mechanism where people develop Zeus and then resell it to other people is kind of, you know, what makes the Zeus a particular concern.
0: Andreas, you raised some interesting points about Zeus and how long it's been around, and the fact that it does oftentimes target financial transactions, I'm wondering how Zeus relates to the so-called Operation High Roller, which McAfee says involved more than $78 million in attempted fraudulent transfers for more than 60 financial institutions. Can you give us some background there or draw a connection?
1: So um, it's an interesting question simply because Operation High Roller highlights a particular fact that is very, very commonly known in the particular for financial institutions since years and years. But the big news about Operation High Roller is that they virtually used off-the-shelf Zeus Trojans or Spy Eye Trojans, which is kind of like a very similar Trojan compared to Zeus, to do fully automated attacks in a very sophisticated way. So typically Operation High Roller is nothing really kind of new. What's new is that they kind of use it on a much, much bigger scale. We have seen at ThreatMetrics Labs attacks in similar ways going back to 2010. Carver P, for example, or Gozi are two Trojans that were virtually doing exactly the same thing back in 2010. But those Trojans were really kind of you know, very targeted towards a few number of financial institutions. Gozi, for example, was ha- happily... I'm capable of doing a fully automated wire transfer. What's new with with Operation High Roller is that people use off-the-shelf Zeus trojans, put heavily automation around it. They could get around two-factor authentication as well. They could have lots of server-side automation and really target not just you know one or two or three different financial institutions. I think Operation High Roller was around you know 60 financial institutions if I read correctly. But at the end of the day, this is just one fraud ring using the Zeus chosen to perpetrate the fraud in a very, very sophisticated way.
0: So, Andreas, why is the security industry failing to adequately address these threats? It's
1: a good question. And, I mean, for sure you can argue that, you know, antivirus engines have been around for a decade and still we have lots of problems, you know, with malware on a daily basis. And the answer to this is actually twofold. First of all, antivirus and security engines on the consumer side still heavily rely on blacklists and on heuristics. Slowly, there's more and more um uh, effective uh, systems coming in, but really very slowly. So, Zeus trojans can first need to target and infect end users, and they can do this in any which way and form. And I think we talked about this before there's drive-by downloads, there's kind of, you know, if I compromise a Twitter account and I send a malicious link to whatever my millions of followers from a popular account, chances are high that people will actually download something. And once the computer is infected, what the this Trojan does, the main in a browser injection, they make it very, very sophisticated, and you can see this in the uh, Threat Matrix Labs report we put out. Even for the trained eye, it's incredibly hard to find out whether this is legitimate or whether this is a chosen. We've seen cases where they just inject additional images and you know pages into a logging uh, procedure, and this looks completely legitimate. So the sophistication is ever increasing which obviously kind of, you know, make sure the end users who are not really trying to deal with, you know, Trojans, they don't see anything. Uh, We've seen this in, in, you know, a number of other cases as well, where we know of uh, Trojans and uh, viruses that have been around for years, for, you know, five, six years before actually kind of we properly can uh, detect them.
0: And so you've talked a little bit about why current solutions are failing. But what solutions, Andreas, should financial institutions as well as other organizations
1: be investing in? So obviously kind of, you know, the problem can be tackled on a number of different ways. And um, one way is obviously to making sure that that the end-user's device is not compromised in the first place. And obviously security solutions provide a first good step there. But obviously there's, you know, more sophisticated endpoint solutions that make sure with a more, you know, um, proactive approach rather than a signature based approach to make sure that the end user's device is not infected at all. Then a client is one of those products that have a forensics approach which would detect compromises very, very early on. But in order to provide a complete protection, we also need to look at the server side tie in any kind of protection and information from the end-users device into a strong security chain with what's happening on the server. For example, um, uh, we need to have much, much better tools to detect on the server side without knowing anything about the client, whether this is a compromised device, for example or whether this device has behaving badly or whether this is one fraud or one fraud on one computer, for example, trying to log into a number of different uh, accounts to make much, much better use of the information that is available and uh, really combine this with information about the end user's device. So,
0: Andreas, would you agree with the statement that at the core of all of this is really the consumer? These phishing schemes and these spoofed websites are really duping consumers.
1: Yeah, and and this is getting worse and worse because, I mean, the attacks are really getting more sophisticated. Today, it's not so easy anymore. We come across, you know, phishing emails, common practice, for example, with security companies to do penetration tests within the enterprise. If you can send an email, I mean, supposed to be from the IT department of a particular enterprise, you send it out to the all the employees you get a really high percentage of successful hits back. It's not really about technology, it's about the end user, but at the same time, we need to make sure that we don't put all the burden just on the end user. I can't just sit here and say, Hi, hey, you, know, the, the, you know, the end user is not uh, trained enough to use the system. So we really need to make sure that technology works seamlessly in the background without putting too much burden on the end user.
0: So is there anything that the industry can do to address ways to prevent socially engineered schemes from being so successful?
1: I think we need to be much more open and say, hey, this is a problem, and let's work on solutions for this problem. There's still out in the industry kind of, you know, this perception that, um, hey, I can't, you know, talk openly about what techs are happening simply because then people would actually be scared of using, you know, online the online channel, online transactions, or uh, you know, internet banking in in some ways or form. So in some way, to be more open could be actually a good thing because then you can actually collaborate. Let's say I'm in online business and then I tell my customers for years and years and years, hey, you know, everything's fine, everything's safe, you know, we protect everything. I'm for sure as a user, I'm led to believe that everything's, you know, fantastic. And then we need to have more education, but not just education in terms of putting the burden to the end user, really more education and really making the technology together with user education combined together. And I think then we can make a difference.
0: I wanted to ask you about the new domain naming system initiative, which calls for high-level domain names to be approved or vetted by industry boards and groups. Of course, on the financial side, we have the ABA and FSISAC that have applied for the .bank domain name. I'm wondering if you think this new domain naming system might help to disrupt some of these socially engineered schemes that
1: we see today. Um, Yes and no. So, obviously, we have a lot of data from phishing sites, and phishing sites obviously kind of, you know, by definition, use, you know, not official domain names. People don't really tend to put too much, you know, emphasis on this. You could have security professionals and industry groups, for example. Theoretically, you could say, hey, if a domain is within this, you know, um, vetted group to a certain degree, you could have in the browser a security policy that says, hey, if this domain is in, is in this vetted and approved group, all external content of this page needs to be in an approved group as well. So that would make main in a browser injection kind of, you know, much, much harder to do. Way back uh, kind of a couple of years ago, Financial Technology Consulting, which is now um, FTC, which is now part of BITS, an idea for, uh, I think it was called safe browsing, where a similar idea was loaded. And that would make a lot of sense to me. So not just, you know, the individual the domain, but including every external resources that is referenced by this domain, And that could make a big difference for the men in the browser injections, actually.
0: And then before we close, Andreas, I wanted just to ask what you think institutions and organizations across the board should be doing right now to better protect themselves and their customers from some of these increasingly sophisticated attacks.
1: Most attacks kind of, you know, boil down to kind of, you know, two use cases. And the first use case is either the fraud or steal personal information, like, you know, a credit card number, for example, or like the uh, login details, uh, which they use in some way or form then at a the lighter stage. Or fraudsters who have some fully automated um, setup, like this operation, high roller, for example, or the examples that goes in Cabo P in a financial institution space, where they could take your username and password and do a fully automated rights return in the background. So for both of these use cases, there's kind of you know solutions out there making sure that with looking at the data that is available to detect anomalies, to detect these kind of things. For example, device fingerprinting will quite heavily help with the use case of someone stealing your personal information. If I see you're using a password, and if I'm trying to log into your bank account from my device, the bank will see, hey, you know, there's someone trying to log into Trace's account from a computer we've never ever seen, you know, comes from a completely different location. And more from an automated point of view, where you have um, those men in the browser injection, you would be alerted the first time someone would try to log into your bank and the bank's website has been altered and has been uh, changed with a main in the browser Trojan. So there's technology out there, but obviously kind of goes in the same way. Technology alone will not solve the problem. User um, education will um, uh, make a big difference.
0: Andreas, I want to thank you again for your time today.
1: Thank you very much, Trayson, for the opportunity to, um, uh, to have this chat.
0: Again, we've just heard from Andreas Baumhoff of Threat Metrics For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.